Oh God, what, a, what an appropriate question to ask on this first Sabbath of the new year. How can I keep from singing? We have Christ. How can I keep from singing? Oh God, set our hearts to song and the music of your grace as we plunge into this uncharted journey before us. And right now, in Holy Scripture, engage our minds, speak to our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Wasn't that a beautiful song? How can I keep from singing? <laughs> Never heard that one before, but it's going to stay with me. Can you believe we are here already? Cusp of this uncharted journey. And we can be grateful that today is not tomorrow and that tomorrow is not today. I had somebody tell me just a few minutes ago, tomorrow and Monday, what is it, that high is going to be minus five? Those of you uh, watching on live streaming now, if you're in Florida or California, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Number two, pray for us here in Michigan. Eight to ten inches, I think, is what they're saying. We got the university, holiday will be over, the university's... Starting on Monday, we've got a whole lot of students that need to make the cross-continental journey, and so here we be. But I'm glad we have this first Sabbath together, you and I. So I'm reading Hemispheres magazine. And the only reason I'm reading Hemispheres magazine is because I'm on a United plane and I have nothing else to do while I'm waiting for the plane to take off. I have my own reading when, once the plane takes off. Now, I'm on, a, I'm, on, I'm on a United flight out to L.A., the day after Christmas. And the reason I'm flying out to L.A. the day after Christmas is because of my mother who lives in Banning, 20 miles from Loma Linda, but she's in the hospital in Loma Linda day after Christmas. Turns out she fell. Her husband, Bert, was out uh, doing some grocery shopping and she was in the big walk-in closet. She turned and lost her footing and she cracked her pelvis. Yeah, she didn't break her hip, she didn't fracture her pelvis, but she cracked it. And that hasn't happened to me, but if you know anything about bones, it can be very intense, the pain. So anyway, 911, they get her to a little hospital there in Banning, then they get her to Loma Linda Hospital, and she's in the East Campus. So I flew out to see her. My brother was there with his wife, my sister flew down from uh, Sacramento. So it was a family time, but to be with mother. and. Hallelujah, mom is doing 200% better, doing very well. But just yesterday, she got transferred from the east campus of the Loma Linda University Hospital to, and our, us kids scouted it out. We found a little uh, nursing home that does rehab, occupational therapy, and, and uh, physical therapy. We've got a bunch of PTers right here. And so she's going to get 20 days. Medicare, now you don't need to know this, but Medicare pays for 20 days. And so that'll be what the rehab she can get, and it should be sufficient. Then she goes home to her husband, and we pray a prosperous new year. So anyway, I'm reading Hemispheres magazine. Only United carries it. And while I'm reading it, I discover something I never knew before, and that is there is a holiday little known in the middle of January. Maybe you already knew about it. This is the day when folks who have been saving their rent money for the end of the month go ahead and blow it anyway. This is the day when you say, I'm not going to eat those fudge-covered Oreos. You go ahead and help yourself. All that exercising I'm doing at the beginning of every new day in the new year, you quit doing it. I hadn't heard about this, but it's called, the name of the holiday, Ditch Your New Year's Resolutions Day. 
Had you, had you heard of it? No, you can Google it. It's true. And it comes on January 17th because they've calculated that's the day most people just break down and it's over. In fact, the Journal of, the Journal of Clinical Psychology in a 2012 study discovered that 24% of people who make resolutions fail to keep them every single year. They just fail. 24%. In fact, 18% of those who ditched their resolutions couldn't hold out for even one day. <laughs> I don't know which group you're in, but uh, here we all are on this first Sabbath of the new year. Promises, promises, that old uh, Hal David Burt Bacharach uh, song, promises, promises. But you know what, folks? Let's forget the promises we keep making and breaking. Promises, promises. What if we focused on the promises, promises God never fails to keep? title of our, our New Year's homily today, A New Thing for a New Year. Open your Bible with me or the tablet you got for Christmas. I know you have it. Listen, you can see from here, when your head's down the whole time and you're going like this, you're not reading the hymnal. So uh, open your new tablet. You do have a Bible app, I know. Open your Bible to this promise we've been keeping for 225 days in the year that's just passed. 225 days, from middle of May to the end of December, we have banded together. Many of us have banded together to claim this promise again and again and again. Let's go back to this promise. You say, wait a minute, Dwight, it's a new year. We, 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 we ditch the old resolutions. No, 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 no. Who says we have to? Just the, uh, the change of the calendar doesn't mean we change the promise. The promise is still pertinent. In fact, beyond what we have discovered already together, there's a whole new world found out in this promise. So let's go back to the promise. First Sabbath of the new year, open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, I'm in the NIV, New International Version. You didn't bring a Bible? You've got your phone or your tablet? Don't have those? Then grab the pew Bible in front of you. It will be page 489, Isaiah 43. Familiar words on the cover of our worship bulletin today. Verse 19, Isaiah 43, 19, God speaking, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Verse 20, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. Verse 21, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So when we discovered this promise together last year, we said, look, at four times, as soon as he says, I'm doing a new thing, four times he speaks of water. So whatever it is, it has to do with water. And, you, and, and God doesn't leave us guessing. Just a few lines later, chapter 44, verse 3, you remember, here comes his explanation of what this new thing about water really is. Isaiah 44, verse 3, God speaking, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Here it comes. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all of you. Interestingly enough, the Hebrew here for the word new is kadash. Kadash. It's not a word foreign to Isaiah. In fact, he slips it in just before he ends his book. I want you to see how expansive this new thing is. Uh, just turn a few pages. Keep your thumb here. We'll be right back. But uh, Isaiah 65. Go to Isaiah 65. And here is verse 17. Same word. Kadash. God is speaking. Isaiah 65, 17, see. The New King James says, behold, see, 
I will create new kadash. I will create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Behold, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to create new heavens and a new earth. Wow. You can do that, God. Yep. I'm reading a book right now by David Berlinski. He's a secular Jew, an atheist, and a scientist. Title of his book, The Devil's Delusion, Atheism and Its Scientific Pretensions. Though not a believer anymore in his childhood faith of Judaism, Berlinski was searing chutzpah and biting logic challenges the atheistic worldview of his own scientific community and his colleagues. Let me just put a line from his book up on the screen for you. Berlinski writing, We know better than we did what we do not know and have not grasped. You have to read that again to get it. We know better than we did what we do not know and have not grasped. Keep reading. We do not know how the universe began. We do not know why it is there. Charles Darwin talks speculatively speculatively, of life emerging from a warm little pond. Well, guess what? The pond is gone. We have little, he writes, we have little idea how life emerged and cannot with assurance say that it did. End quote. Well, Holy Scripture is not gripped with that stunning uncertainty. Holy Scripture declares, in the beginning, God created, Genesis 1.1, the heavens and the earth, and the word for created, bara, the same word right here. And in the ending, God will create all over again new heavens and a new earth. <laughs> God's almost, as if God's saying, listen, you, you didn't get it right here. The, almost the next to the last line of the book. So just turn one page over to Isaiah 66. God comes back at it. I, I need you to know this. This is 66, verse 22. As the new heavens and the new earth that I will make will endure before me, declares the Lord, Kadash, new heavens and new earth, so will your name and your descendants endure, verse 23, from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. I will do a new thing. Behold, I will make all things new. That's what he declares at the end of Isaiah. That's what he declares at the end of the book, the end of Holy Scripture. I'll make everything new. In the Christmas letter you got from me a few weeks ago, I quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I want to come back to that quotation. You know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, 39 years old, Lutheran pastor and theologian, executed by direct order of Himmler, uh, Himmler and Hitler, by the way, we now know. Bonhoeffer wrote these words. I'll put his words on the screen for you. Take a look. He, he accesses this new thing. Through all the advents of our life, what he's saying is through all the Christmases that we keep celebrating, through all the advents of our life that we celebrate, goes the longing for the final advent. Every Christmas, every advent, we have this longing for the final advent where the Bible says, quoting God, Behold, I make all things new, Revelation 21, verse 5. Advent is a time of waiting. Our whole life, however, is Advent. That is a time of waiting for the ultimate, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, when all the people are brothers and sisters. Bonhoeffer concludes, learn to wait, because he has promised to come. Quoting Jesus, I stand at the door. And you remember how it goes. I stand at the door and knock. We, however, call to him. Yes, come, Lord Jesus. The last line of Scripture. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. End of quotation. But I need to kind of 
muse with you out loud. Does all of this new thing, does it carry for you maybe too much of this notion of the sweet by and by? I mean, oh, yes, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, pour out the Holy Spirit on my heart, but, oh, that'll have to come down here. That'll have to come at the great latter reign of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, God, a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, but you have to wait till, till Jesus comes. Could it be that in our eagerness for this by-and-by new thing, we've missed Embedded right here in the heart of God's promise, a, not a sweet by and by, but a very here and now, a now and now promise. I mean, what good is hope? Come on. What, what good is delayed, deferred hope if it's always pushed into the future, if we don't let it impact the way we live life in the present? That's a very good news for you. In this chapter that we spent last year visiting, 43, there are two verses we left out. I want you to see the two verses we left out. They need to come in for the new year. Here we go. Back to 43. You had your thumb there. Isaiah 43, verse 18. Before he says, behold, I do a new thing. Here, here comes verse 18. Isn't this amazing? Verse 18, God speaking, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I'll do a new thing. Forget, but, but forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. You know what? Some of us have this spiritual proclivity to dwell in the future. We kind of dwell in the hereafter. My mother-in-law, God bless her. She used to say, you know, Dwight, I live in the hereafter a lot. I said, really, Mom? What are you talking about? She says, well, I go into a room and I say, what, what am I hereafter? And the older you get, the more you realize that is, in fact, where we do a lot of our living, in the hereafter. I'm not talking about that. Some of us here are always pointing to the future. We have this spiritual pro proclivity to live in the future. But all of us here have the spiritual weakness of living in the past. All of us. And so to us, this first Sabbath of the new year comes this divine command, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Come on, think with me, think with me. The truth is, isn't this true? We are our own worst critic. Isn't that true? Please. And while others may forget our bumbling idiocies and our moral fallings and failings, there are two beings who do not forget, the devil and you. Never forget. And so with painful precision, already in these first hours of the new year, we dredge our past, bring it up to, haul it up to the surface once again, surface our sinful guilt, our moral shame. Do you have to remind me of this self? I was hoping to forget. Between the devil and self, our old year failures are with us in the new year. Thanks a lot. But the question that begs to be asked, come on, the question that begs to be asked is, does God remember? Does He remember? Ah, here's that other line we left out. Look at this. Drop down to verse 25. Can you believe this is in your Bible? Isaiah 43, 25, God speaking, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I remember your sins no more. 
Isn't that amazing? God says, I blot out your transgressions for my sake. You know why, Dwight? I'm tired of, I don't want to think. Every time you come to me, pleading with me, praying to me, I don't want to keep thinking about your meltdowns that I know have, have happened in your life story. For my own sake, I'm blotting them out. I don't want to remember every time you open your heart to me. Oh, yeah, that's what she did. Oh, yeah, this is Dwight. Oh, please. For my own sake. I do not remember. Wow. Now, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, either that promise declares a new thing of divine truth or it is the cruelest hoax of all, this notion that God chooses to forget my awful guilt in my past. He chooses to forget it. Read it again. Verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Brendan Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, tells this wonderful story. And if you've heard it before, I want you to hear it again. Let me read it to you. It's a short story. Perhaps you've heard this story, Manning writing. Four years ago in a large city in the far west, rumors spread that a certain Catholic woman was having visions of Jesus. The reports reached the archbishop. He decided to check her out. There's always a fine line between the authentic mystic and the lunatic fringe. Is it true, ma'am, that you have visions of Jesus? asked the cleric. Yes, she replied simply. Well, the next time you have a vision, I want you to ask Jesus to tell you the sins that I confessed in my last confession. The woman was stunned. Did I hear you right, Bishop? You actually want me to ask Jesus to tell me the sins of your past? Exactly. Can you please call me if anything happens? Ten days later, a woman notified her spiritual leader of a recent apparition. Please come, she said. Within the hour the archbishop arrived, he trusted eye-to-eye -eye contact. Now, look, you just told me on the telephone that you actually had a vision of Jesus. Did you do as I asked? Oh, yes, bishop. I asked Jesus to tell me the sins you confessed in your last confession. The bishop leaned forward with anticipation. His eyes narrowed. What did Jesus say? She took his hand and she gazed deep into his eyes. Bishop, she said, these are his exact words. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, that's just an apocryphal tale to bolster some sort of contested truth. Oh, really? I'm going to give a text to you. A text for you. I've shared this text in other contexts before. And I'll tell you, people come up to me and say, hey, Dwight, I didn't write it down. What was that text? So I'm telling you, write this text down. You will not believe it's in your Bible unless you write it down. I'm going to give you the reference right now. Write it down. Don't come up to me afterwards. Write it down now. 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. Just write that down. 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. Just an apocryphal tale. Is that what we just read? Let's go to God's Word. Another story. 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. All right, so I've got to find that. 1 Kings 14, verses 7 and 8. What chapter was that, uh, congregation? 1 Kings 14. What were the verses? 
7 and 8. All right, let's go. 1 Kings 14, verse 7, God speaking, Go tell Jeroboam, oh, the wicked king Jeroboam, the king of Israel. Go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people, and I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. Now, here it goes, verse 8. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David, and I gave it to you, but you have not been like my servant David. Can you believe that? I wish you were like David. And then he says, I want to tell you about David. Now, David is dead and gone. He's buried. You, Jeroboam, have not been like my servant David, who, number one, kept my commandments. The New King James says, kept my commandments. Oh, come on. God, please, time out just a minute. Kept your commandments, the seventh he broke, then the sixth to cover up the seventh, then the fifth to cover up the sixth and seventh. By the time he's through, all ten are broken. What do you mean he kept your commandments? You talk about the same David we know, you know, the one from Bethlehem who became king? Oh, that's the same one? Okay. God says, don't interrupt me. Why, Jeroboam, have you not been like my servant David, who, number one, kept my commandments, and number two, followed me with all his heart? Whoa, time out. Whoa, Stop. Sorry to be so impertinent, but please, dear God, you can't leave the same David who followed you with all his heart. He gave his heart to that woman that wasn't even his woman. You can't tell me. Same David. You sure? Sure. Why can't you be, why can't you be like my servant David who, number one, kept my commandments, and number two, followed me with all his pew? Now hold on to your pew, please. And number three, did only what was right in my eyes. Are you serious? Did only what was right in your eyes? You must... You have Alzheimer's, perhaps? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what did we just read? We just read the biblical vindication of Isaiah 43, 25. I will remember your sins no more. You come to me. You come to me. It's gone. I promise you. For my sake, I will not remember. That's what's happening. This king, the adulterer, did only what was right in your eyes. It must be true what David prayed. Probably the greatest uh, bit of penitential literature in all of human literature is Psalm 51. You remember the prayer that David composes after Bathsheba? And you know this verse. I know you do. Uh, uh, Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a... How's it go? Create in me a clean heart, O God. And what's the next word? What's the next word? Renew. Now, stop it right there. Renew. Do you know what the Hebrew word is? It's kadash. I will do a new thing. Kadash. I'll make new heavens and a new earth. Kadash. What David is saying is he's taking an adjective and he's turning the adjective into a verb. So he's saying to God, create in me a clean heart and new, new me, new me, make me brand new. Renew a right spirit within me. Apparently, when you ask God, the creator of the universe, he has just enough power left to give a brand new creation out of you if you want. I will remember your sins no more. Never. I will remember your sins no more. I'll do a new thing. No wonder Steps to Christ. I want to end with this. Steps to Christ. Put it on the screen, please. Jot this down because you're, you're going to want this one too. It's page 62. That little classic, that classic on the Christian way. Steps to Christ, page 62. Look at these words. Christ died for us. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why this cross is right here. Christ died for us. 
That's what we've come to celebrate. I can't think of a more fitting celebration to begin a new year than this. Christ died for us. And now he offers to take our sins, keep reading, and give us his righteousness. If you give yourself to him, that's the only hitch. The only hitch is, can I, can I do this new creation in you? If you give yourself to him and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been for his sake, you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character. And I love this now. Here it comes. And you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. I can't remember. Hey, God. What did Dwight talk to you about? You two were in there for a long time. A lot of the old year he had to work through, didn't he? God said, hey, I can't, I can't remember. I cannot remember. I will remember your sins no more. I will do a new thing. Not just in the sweet by and by. In the urgent. Now and now. I will do a new thing. New creation. It's no wonder in the New Testament you run into this concept. I mean, look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man, if any woman is in Christ, he, she has become a new creation. Old things are passed away. The, the year's gone. It's over. Old things are passed away. Everything has become new. I can't remember. Hey, come on, God. What did Dwight do in 2013? The guy seems like a scoundrel to me. I can't remember. For my sake, I will remember your sins no more. Ladies and gentlemen, the good news does not get any gooder than this. Does it? Give me some good news that's better than that. It's not. I will remember your sins. What are those two words? Those are the words you take home from this New Year's worship at the foot of the cross. What are those two words? No more. No more. I will remember your sins no more. No more. Which part of the no more do you not understand? No more. I can't remember. What a God we worship who is our dearest friend in the universe. What a God. I can't remember. I will remember your sins no more. No more. No more. Let us pray. Oh, God. How could the good news be more compelling? How could it be more simple? How could it be any better than that? No more. I'm doing a new thing. Not in the by and by, I'm doing it in the now and now. I'm doing a new thing. No more. No more. Father, we embrace the nail-scarred hand of our Lord Jesus. We, we hold that hand to our lips and we thank you. No more. No more. No more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hi, I'd like to take a moment to ask for your help. Currently, Pioneer is recording the programs at this website on 15-year-old analog cameras. Over the years, as the television standards have changed, we've adapted our cameras to the new standards. However, we're at the point now of no longer being able to cobble these cameras together. The reason? Because of the television industry's shift to high definition. 
As you can see, this camera is actually using parts from two separate cameras. In fact, we have some camera operators now who are younger than these cameras. The new high definition standard, or HD, is four times the resolution of our current cameras and employs the industry standard widescreen format. The sensors in these cameras are just not capable of producing that level of picture quality. New cameras are a huge investment for our small ministry, but we feel it's something that needs to be done as some of our major broadcast partners are now planning to shift to this standard. So I'm asking if you'd be willing to help. If the Spirit puts it on your heart, would you be willing to give some extra support to this ministry? Through your gifts, multiplied, I believe, exponentially by God's power, we can reach this end-time generation. So look, the process is simple. Just click on the link there on the website that says make a donation. You can give a single gift, or if you'd like to support us long-term, you can make that gift happen each month. If you'd rather speak with someone instead of using this uh, website, that's fine. Call our friendly operator's toll-free number. Let me put it on the screen here, 877, and the, the two words, His Will. 877-HIS-WILL. And by the way, not a single dollar donated to this ministry or this project goes to me. Your gift will go straight to our mission. Thank you for your support. And as always, I hope I'll see you back here again at this site.